Well, good morning and greetings in Jesus' name. As Ben already mentioned, uh, Manny is probably doing the very same thing at our church in Hampton, Connecticut. So it feels a little bit like uh, maybe like an, we're exchanging lunches. I don't know if you ever did that or not when you were in, in school, but we did occasionally. Um, and it was always really special. So, uh, But had I, had I thought about the time change earlier, why I maybe would have tried to make it home last night and uh, to, to, to listen to Manny preach this morning and to share with them there. But at any rate, it is really good to be here. Um, it, it has been a blessing to be here already this morning and to hear from a number of you, uh, the, the brother that shared in devotions on, on uh, walking in the spirit. And also I was really challenged by your Sunday school uh, study in Genesis. I, I'm fascinated by, by the Old Testament. I love studying the Old Testament, and I think uh, there's, there's so many things hidden in the Old Testament that kind of bring the, the, the scriptures to light when we start seeing them, um, or at least attempt to see them in, in, that, in that era and, and what God was trying to say and do through the uh, through the Old Testament prophets and, and patriarchs. Um, we sang that song, page 671, Years I Spent in Vanity and Pride. And I, it, the verse 4 just really jumped out at me. Oh, the love that drew salvation's plan. And if we read, or Ben read uh, Ephesians 2, 10, for we, are in, for we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus unto good works, which God hath before ordained. Oh, the love that drew salvation's plan. He drew out this plan. Oh, the grace that brought it down to man. Oh, the mighty gulf that God did span at Calvary. <clears throat> it's also a blessing to have uh, some, uh, some familiar faces here. I mean, many of your faces are familiar to me because I grew up in this area, but it's especially a blessing to have Chris and Mavis here with us this morning, somehow having uh, some, some uh, church family here with me this morning maybe helps calm my, my spirit, I don't know, but so thank you for, for coming and worshiping here, Chris and Mavis. There are a couple um, that we've learned to, to know in the past couple of years in uh, in, in Connecticut, and it is just such a blessing to be able to be here together this morning. Well, the message this morning, I would like to uh, zero in on, on something that was already read in Ephesians in verse 20. Ephesians 2 verse 20 says that Jesus Christ himself is our chief cornerstone. So I'd like to talk about the chief cornerstone this morning a little bit. Um, I'd like to go back into the Old Testament a little, and, and we, we will be using our imagination a little bit this morning. We'll be using some of what I've learned from, from reading and, and, and history, and we also we will use some of our imagination, but we'll also read in, uh, uh, in the Old Testament and, and draw some lessons from, from this uh, chief cornerstone and what it may have been like. And so we, we've... So we read it here in Ephesians. We can also read it in several other places about the chief cornerstone. In Peter, we can read about how this chief cornerstone was, it was rejected. 
a stone that the builders disallowed. And, and so what, what is this talking about? And so that's where we want to go with this. Uh, I have three, made up, three main objectives, I guess. The one is to simply to gain appreciation for our chief cornerstone, which is Jesus, and the importance of building the church and our lives thereon. So that's one objective. The second one is to realize what Psalm 127 says, except the Lord build the house, they labor in vain that build it. Except the Lord keep the city, the watchman waketh, but in vain. And I was uh, also blessed to hear you all um, are beginning this, this quest of, of, of starting an outreach. Um, me now being part of one, I, I just want to bless you in that. Uh, may God bless you and guide you as you come together and, and, and figure out how you're going to do that and where you're going to go. And may, may God guide you in this. And the third uh, objective here now is to see, just simply to see some of the fascinating parallels of when the temple, which was built by Solomon, um, when, when that was built, and how that all points to the character and nature of God. And even the location that it was built on. We want to look a little bit about what happened through the years at this location. Uh, so to get started... We've already read this passage here in, in Ephesians 2. Um, and, and I just want to go down over this, first of all, and look at a few key points. And then we'll go on to, uh, to the Old Testament. So a couple of key points here that you should note. In, in verse uh, 14, it says, For he is our peace, who hath made both one. Draw attention to, those, to that verse, who hath made both one. You know, the ministry of reconciliation is bringing together what was separated. And so when Jesus came, he, he, he made this possible, that something that was separated could become one again. He has broken down the middle wall of partition between us. And then in verse 16, and that he might reconcile both unto God in one body by the cross having slain the enmity thereby. And then in verse 18, For through him we both have access by one spirit unto the Father, only through him. And then in verse 20, and, well, let's read verse 19 again. And now therefore, because of this, because of what Jesus did as the chief cornerstone, we can come together. We can, we can be part of this ministry of reconciliation where things that are separated, if you will, things that are not in one with God, maybe not in one with each other, can, can come together. And really that is what love is. And so we become part of this building that is pointing back to God. So verse, verse 19, Now therefore ye are no more strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints, and of the household of God. Let that sink into your spirit this morning of what significance you are in Christ and are built upon the foundation of the apostles and prophets. And we want to just dwell on that maybe a little bit. The foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone in whom all the building fitly framed together groweth unto a holy temple of the Lord. So... 
this reminds me of, I think it was in Peter as well, that Peter says we are, we are lively stones, right? So can you, can you kind of picture yourself as a stone this morning? But a lively stone. Now this is something that we have a lot of in Connecticut, is stones. And we have a lot of these uh, beautiful stone walls that somebody built. Some of them are kind of broken down um, because nobody has maybe maintained them over the years. But others are really beautiful, and, they're, they're, and they stay for years and years. However, I saw a, a man walking along his stone wall, and actually this man built a wall for me as well. Um, so he's a stonemason. He works for, for a, a neighbor of mine that is a stonemason. And I saw him one day walking along a neighbor's stone wall that I believe they built. And he had this hammer, and he, was, he, was, he would occasionally hit a stone in. He was kind of maintaining, he was really doing some maintenance on a dry stack stone wall. And so, it, so I don't know, are these stones a bit lively? And they're moving around from, from one year to the next with freeze thaw. But the beauty of these dry stack stone walls is you can maintain them. And you can, you can keep them looking beautiful for many, many years. Um, not so with all the walls that depending on what for material you use, you can't really do that. It's, uh, it's, it's built, <laughs> and then if something happens that things shift around, you pretty much have to start over. Right, Ben? You build walls, and, and we sell uh, segmental retaining wall block and things like that. And so I'm fascinated by, by the different, different ways that people build. And I think the longer I'm in this industry, the, the, the more fascinated I become. But anyway, living stones, lively stones. Can you kind of uh, picture yourself as a lively stone in this building? Please do if you can. So in whom ye also are builded together for a habitation of God through the Spirit. So this, this building, if you will, and I want to liken it to the church and to your own life. But, but, but for context here, primarily to the church, um, this, this church is, is we're a whole bunch of lively stones being built, a habitation for, build it together for an habitation of God through the Spirit. Okay, so now let's think about when Solomon's temple was built. And let's go to 2 Samuel chapter 7. And let's just first of all think about... Uh, why the temple was built, maybe. <clears throat> Have you ever thought about it? Did God tell David that this is something you must do? Or Solomon? No, I, he didn't. Not that I'm aware of. In fact, I think it was David's idea. So here in 2 Samuel 7, verse 1, And it came to pass when the king sat in his house, and the Lord had given him rest, round about from all his enemies, that the king said unto Nathan the prophet, See now, I dwell in a house of cedar, but the ark of God dwelleth within curtains. Remember the ark was uh, in, 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 a, in a tabernacle um, style. Well, it, here, at this point, I'm not sure if they had the tabernacle erected somewhere or not. But the, but the ark, which was where the Ark of the Covenant, that room of the, the Holy of Holies, that's where God came down to visit his people. And, and, and David was, 
David was bothered by this. That here I'm in a, I'm living in this beautiful house of cedar. And God dwelleth within curtains. And then Nathan said to the king, verse 3, Do all that is in thy heart, for the Lord is with thee. So this, I believe, was the birth of the temple. Um, it, was, it was David's idea, and God blessed it. But in verse 5, God has this, a bit of a dialogue with David. Go and tell my servant David, thus saith the Lord, Shall you build me a house for me to dwell in? Whereas I have not dwelt in any house since the time that I brought up the children of, of Israel out of Egypt, even to this day, but have walked in a temple and in a tabernacle. In all the places wherein I have walked with all the children of Israel, spake I a word with any of the tribes of Israel, whom I commanded to feed my people Israel, saying, Why build ye not a house of cedar? So God is asking the question, Did I ever ask you to build this? And my answer would be no. So it wasn't necessarily God's idea. And yet he blessed it. I believe this is the way God works sometimes within a church and within our lives. God knew David's heart. He knew and he knows mine and yours as well. He knows if your heart, if you have a heart after God. And so... I believe he pours out his blessing and grace on, on us sometimes, even when it might not be his idea. Maybe it's our idea, if you will. And yet, after all, he made us in his image, right? He made us creatures of choice. And yet, he said he can do it, but then he, he wanted him to build it in a certain way, at a certain place. And I think the reason for that is Although David was a man after God's heart, and he blessed David with this, this idea of, of building a temple, but it was only to be done in such a way that depicts the character and nature of God. And so, so David had the idea, but he didn't build it. God said, you're, you're not allowed to build it because you're a man of war. And he said, your, your son can build it. Why do you think that is? You see, there's a reason for all of these things. There's a reason the Bible is written the way it is written. Um, there's all the details in the Bible. Some of them are omitted, and we wish they wouldn't be. We wish we would know more about it. But God wrote it or allowed it to be written in such a way. We have enough of information to lead us to Christ. But we also have, there's enough omitted that we need to go by faith. And, but, but I think every detail in the Bible is there for a reason. And so as we read the scripture and, and you know, why? why? Why couldn't he build it? He was a man after God's heart, but he was a man of war. I don't know for sure why, but one of the thoughts that maybe he couldn't build it because it doesn't quite fit the nature of God. God does not want to build his, his kingdom with warfare. He wants to build it with peace, I think. <clears throat> Okay, so let's think about uh, where this temple then was built. What, what are some significant things that happened on this same site many years before the temple was built? Now, this temple was built probably over, by now, what, 3,000 years now? Maybe a little bit more? But what happened 
likely a thousand years before the temple was built. Does anybody want to take a stab at this? Abraham offered his son Isaac. Well, he was about to offer him, but then he didn't, right? Yeah, he built an altar. And then what happened? That he did not offer his son? We all know the story, right? They found a ram in the thicket. So that's significant. When Abraham, when Isaac asked Abraham or his father, so here's wood, here's everything we need, but where's, where's the sacrifice? And Abraham said, God will provide. God will provide. And he did. Okay, what else happened here? After that, then, there's another fairly significant thing that happened here on this mountain. Does anybody want to take a stab at it? Okay, well, there was another incident. When David sinned in 1 Chronicles 21, he he numbered the people, and he wasn't supposed to. In fact, the people that were around him, his general said, you shouldn't do this, it's not a good idea. And he did it anyway. Um, he numbered the people, and, then, and God was angry with him, and he said, uh, I, I'm gonna, there will be punishment for this sin. And maybe, maybe we'll just turn to 1 Chronicles 21 and read a little bit there. <clears throat> uh, I think I'll start in verse 14. So the Lord, well, maybe before I, before I read there, we'll just... We'll just talk about the uh, options that God gave uh, David. So he gave him three options for, for punishment. He said, uh, what were they now? One of them was that he would have three months, I think, of, of his enemies coming after him. It was a certain amount of time anyway. And the other one was, was it a famine or a pestilence? And then the third one was that I will come and strike you. For three days, if you will, I'll send the, the, the angel of, of death, if you will, and, and strike you. And, and it's interesting what David said. So let's read here in verse 14. So the Lord sent pestilence upon Israel, and there fell of Israel 70,000 men. And God sent an angel unto Jerusalem to destroy it. As he was destroying, the Lord beheld, and he repented him of the evil and said to the angel that destroyed, It is enough. Stay now thy hand. And the angel of the Lord stood by the, fleshing, by the threshing floor of Oron the Jebusite. And David lifted up his eyes and saw the angel of the Lord stand between earth and the heaven, having a drawn sword in his hand stretched out over Jerusalem. Then David and the elders of Israel, which were clothed in sackcloth, fell upon their faces. And David said unto God, Is it not I? That commanded the people to be numbered, even I it is, even I it is that have sinned and done evil indeed. But as for these sheep, what have they done? Let thine hand, I pray thee, O Lord my God, be on me and on my father's house, <clears throat> but not on thy people, that they should be plagued. Then the angel of the Lord commanded Gad to say to David that David should go up and set up an altar unto the Lord in the in the threshing floor of Oren the Jebusite. So this, I believe, was on the very same site, on the very same mountain um, that, that uh, Abraham offered up 
his son or offered up the ram in his stead of his son. And here again, an altar is built. Um, a, a, a picture of something that you did to appease God, if you will, and to bring him glory. And so two things here. One, David realized the mercies of God were great, and that's why he, that's why he chose David, or God's punishment over man's punishment. He said, and earlier in this chapter, or maybe the chapter before, you could read that David said, let me ha- fall into the hands of God, because God's mercies are great. And while some people lost their lives here, um, it could have, the, the death angel could have well taken everyone, because this was sin, and sin requires punishment, right? But through this, this sacrifice, the, uh, the pestilence was stayed, or the, or the angel of, uh, of death was withdrew his hand. And so that's interesting that that also happened at that place. You see God's mercy through both the New Testament and the Old Testament. God's mercy. He's the same God, God of love, God of mercy. And yeah, it's hard sometimes to reconcile, if you will, some of the things that happened in the Old Testament. But let's not forget and let's dig deep to find the true meaning, the true reason behind why God allowed some of these things to happen in the Old Testament. To us, in our day and age, it seems sometimes very unfair. But if you, if you really dig into it, it really wasn't. <clears throat> okay, years later, it is highly likely that this was also the very place where Jesus was crucified. So making it possible to once again have God's Spirit made available to all men at all times, wherever we are. As in Acts 2, where it says, that, um, and in Joel 2, where it says, I will, there will come a day when God's Spirit will be poured out upon all men. So we see through all of this God weaving a thread of redemption that all point to one person, Jesus Christ. So... As we continue here now, we we want to continue seeing some of these types and shadows of God's character and how he works. So let's think about the temple now in in Solomon's day. First of all, David made a lot of preparations for for this to happen, but he wasn't allowed to build it. Um, It needed to be built in peacetime. God builds his kingdom with peace. Let's not forget that. Secondly, um, one of the things that is interesting is that there were, there were no hammers or chisels used at the site of, uh, of, of this temple. And to me, that's just mind-boggling. They had quite the, uh, the building experience and, and, and talent to be able to cut these rock at the quarry and then bring them to a building site and build this magnificent building without a hammer or chisel. Why is that? Why do you think God wanted this building built without a hammer and a chisel at the building site? Well, I, 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 I don't know for sure, except maybe, maybe God's spirit wants to work in a quiet way often in our own lives. Maybe God's spirit can work without the hammer and chisel of, of other people 
if you will. Now, he uses other people, but really at the end of the day, it is God's work. It is God's spirit working within us, making a change in our lives, right? And that can be done without a hammer, without a chisel. Ye are the temple of the Holy Spirit, which is within you. 1 Corinthians 6, I believe, is where that's found. So, I should have communicated and made uh, preparations to either put something on the screen or, or bring a, a whiteboard. But since I didn't plan good enough, you need to use your minds now. And, and, and uh, when we talk about the chief cornerstone, picture with me. Um, a building that is being built on top of a mountain. And I don't know exactly how this mountain looked, but I, I would picture it as a, a mountain with a, somewhat of a flat top, but maybe not a very big area. This area where the temple stood, I think, was about 37 acres total, that whole area up there. But anyway, where the temple was, I am picturing based on some of the history I read and, and some of the things they're finding out now in the, in the, uh, in the excavation under the, the Western Wall, some of the old temple ruins that they're finding, that this wall, this temple wall, the outside wall was quite possibly 100 feet tall in some places. So let's picture um, a mountain with some, a pretty rugged hillside, at least on the one side. And let's picture this temple and this, this outside wall and everything being built on this hill. And that reminds me of another scripture that says we are to be a city set on a hill, a, a place, a light set on a hill, right? And I believe in those days the temple really did look like a light on a hill when the sun shone at it because it was overlaid with gold and it glistened. And it was up here on this hill with very likely... At least one of the corners of this building, maybe having a, a wall that was 100 feet high. And so there were some areas where you'd see more wall than other areas, is my, is my guess. And there, according to some writers, they would also have to dig down through the dirt, maybe many, many feet, to get to bedrock. And so this, they, they needed to find bedrock to build this temple on. And so I don't know if the prophets and the, 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 uh, the apostles and prophets and those that came before us, I don't know if they're the stones that are, that are maybe in between the, the areas um, that we don't see, maybe, to get down to bedrock. It makes sense to me when I think of that. The apostles and prophets are filling in the gaps in this wall, um, kind of, but to get us down to bedrock. But we need to get to bedrock. And that reminds me of Psalm 62, verse 1 and 2. Truly my soul waits for God. For him comes my salvation. He only is my rock and my salvation. He is my defense. I shall not be greatly moved. So picture with me. We're going to get to the cornerstone now. Picture with me, using our imagination, this one corner that might have a wall that's 100 feet high. The other corner up closer to the top, maybe it's only 30 feet high, I don't know. But there's a tremendous amount of pressure on this corner, where, and they have to start way down at bedrock. And I'm, I'm picturing this, this rock being visible. Not all the rocks are visible. The apostles and prophets, they're not always visible. Um, the, the rich heritage that's, that, that many of you have maybe built 
your, I don't want to say your faith, but that you've been given, that is not all visible. While it's very important, it's not what you want to build on as a chief cornerstone. It can be used to build this, this building, if you will, but not as a chief cornerstone. So the chief cornerstone was right here in this one corner at the farthest, at the bottom corner where there may have been millions of pounds of pressure on that one stone holding, holding that key corner together. And so they would look for a stone that was pure. They it would have to be a stone that did not have defects in it or cracks in it. It had to be a, a, a perfect stone when it comes to substance, if you will. Um, but it, it says that this, this stone was, was the one that the builders rejected, and it became the head of the corner. So some historians say that this, there was a certain stone that came to the building site, and they didn't know, what it, they didn't know where it went, and so they rolled it down over the hill because it was, it was, it, it was in the way, and it was, they didn't know where it went. The other stones, and they know this by excavation of some of these ruins, that there's, there's uh, numbers on some of these stones. So apparently they had a, a, uh, a system of numbering at the quarry. They would number these stones, and then they'd take them to the building site. And I don't know how they got them there. We believe that these stones were quarried out of Solomon's quarry, which is on, underneath this same mountain is a place they now call um, Solomon's Quarry, or the, I think they have another name for it as well. But they think that the stones for, the, for this temple came from out of, that, out of that same mountain. So what's the, can, can you kind of think about that with me? We're building on bedrock. The rock come out of the same mountain. Is, isn't that parallel neat of how we are to build on Christ? We can't get away from... If you try to build on anything else, it'll be, it'll be stubble and, and hay, and it will, it will burn. Okay, so anyway, they take this, uh, this chief cornerstone, and I, I don't know if it was visible or not. I would like to think this chief cornerstone was visible, um, even after the temple was built. Um, I don't think all the stones were visible because they had to get down to bedrock, but in this corner, I'd like to think it was visible. And when you think of a corner of a building, it's, it's something that connects two things together. Now, just maybe a little bit of a side note, but in Ephesians 5, it talks about uh, Christ being the head of the man and man being the head of the woman, right? If you look that word up, the head, in Greek, it has a definition of the usage, the head, or a cornerstone, Uniting two walls. I just recently came across this when we were studying Ephesians in, a, in our, uh, uh, our instruction class. Um, and, and it just struck me that a cornerstone, it's uniting two walls. And you are also called to be a cornerstone in your family, if you will, or in in whatever you're involved in, especially you men, you're called to be a cornerstone, a uniting of two walls. You're not the entire building, um, but you're a key cornerstone, if you will. But you're not the chief cornerstone. <laughs> the chief cornerstone today is this. Uh, this was a chief cornerstone in the temple um, where everything else was being built on. It was to be perfect. It needed to be 
it needed to be fit or chiseled to fit the bedrock underneath it so that it wouldn't move around. And then they would use the chief cornerstone um, to orient the rest of the building. So I don't think they had lasers in those days, but they had, I'm sure they had string lines and they had maybe other ways of uh, keeping things square and, and level and things like that. But after this chief cornerstone was, was set, they would use this stone to orient the rest of the building. And so if you think about uh, plumb lines and things like that, if this chief cornerstone was just a little bit off, the building would be off. Are you still following me? Are you with me? <clears throat> so the chief cornerstone was, was really, really important. <clears throat> and as we already mentioned, this was, this was something, according to Peter, that it was rejected. And it was rolled down over the hill for a while. I don't know how long it was laying down there, um, but it was in the wind and the weather. And again, according to some historians, this, the, the stone that were used to build the temple came out from a, an a underground quarry, and, lime, and it was limestone. So the limestone in that form under the underground is fairly soft and can be chiseled and can be, can be shaped and formed and fitted. Um, so it was apparently a fairly easy stone to work with. But when you take that certain limestone out of the ground, and you take it out into the elements, into the air and wind and rain, it will, over time, turn into a much harder, almost like a, a marble or a granite, if you, a hard, a really hard stone. So this cornerstone may have been laying down there for a couple of years, I don't know. I don't know how long that takes, um, but it took years to build the temple. We know that. And this cornerstone was being tested by the wind and the rain and the, and the snow. And maybe the cornerstone didn't have a number. Because they didn't, obviously they didn't know where it belongs. All the other stones might have had a number. And so they kicked it down over the, wall, over, the, over the hill. I don't know why it wasn't numbered. Except when I thought about that. I think, well, you can't number God. You can't number our, our Lord. <clears throat> Maybe that's why it wasn't numbered. Anyway. So the point for us today, the chief cornerstone should be visible in our lives. And whatever we, built, whatever we, we build, needs to, we need to check it against the chief cornerstone. Use the chief cornerstone to check your life. You can build on apostles and prophets and things that are passed down to you, if you will but only as part of the building, not the chief cornerstone. Because if you build on some of, some of that, using it as a chief cornerstone, you'll, we will stray. Only the chief cornerstone is, is what we should use to, uh, in that corner to tie all, everything together. <clears throat> So now, as we, just in, in, in conclusion here, let's go to Peter 2.
1 Peter 2. Yeah, I don't want to make a misunderstanding or be misunderstood here. I, I do believe, and I don't want it to sound like I, I um, do not value my, my past or, or uh, the people that went before us. I think that is very important, and it's important that we use that as a, as a good foundation, if you will. Um, but when it comes to testing ourselves, if you will, we shouldn't be looking at each other too much. It's not wise to compare ourselves among ourselves, right? We should compare ourselves to the chief cornerstone to see if we're in alignment. <clears throat> so second, first Peter chapter 2. Wherefore, laying aside all malice and all guile and hypocrisies and envies and all evil speaking, as newborn babes desire the sincere milk of the word, that ye may grow thereby. If so be, ye have tasted that the Lord is gracious. To whom coming as unto a living stone, disallowed indeed of men, but chosen of God and precious, ye also as lively stones are built up a spiritual house, a holy priesthood, to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God by Jesus Christ. Wherefore, also it is contained in Scripture, Behold, I lay in Zion a chief cornerstone, elect, precious, and he that believeth on him shall not be confounded. Unto you, therefore, which, which believe, he is precious. But unto him which be disobedient, the stone which the builders disallowed, the same is made the head of the corner. And a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense, even to them which stumble at the word, being disobedient, whereunto also ye were appointed. Some people will stumble over this stone. <clears throat> but you're a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a peculiar people that you should show forth the praises of him who hath called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. So just as the temple was built here on this hill, and for, for many years it shone as, a, as, a, as a, a light. It was like a city on a hill. And it was a beacon um, that the Jews became very proud of, I believe. And then God had to take it away. It, it became a place um, that, that wasn't showing the character and nature of God. And so then he had it destroyed. <clears throat> God wants us today to be that beacon. He wants us to fit together as living stones. Living stones can continue to be shaped and polished, I think. Once you're not living anymore, you, 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 there's not a whole lot of options left to improve yourself. But living stones can be shaped and polished. And then in, his, in Isaiah 28, 17, it says, I will test you with the measuring line of justice and the plumb line of righteousness. And again, when we think about this building, you know, that measuring line, the plumb line, we should be, we should be um, testing ourselves to the chief cornerstone, if you will. I wonder, we may wonder how we, have so, how we who have so many imperfections can fit into this perfectly just and righteous cornerstone of God's heavenly architecture. After all, each of us are unique. We're a unique combination of color and size and age. Some may be stronger. Some may be more polished than others. Some may still have some rough edges. But in all of that, I believe we're called 
to do to remember you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a peculiar people, that you should show forth the praises of him who hath called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. And then it will continue in first in first Peter here, giving us practical ways of of being built together. And I, I love how that scripture does that over and over again. It brings, uh, it goes back in the Old Testament, quotes uh, an Old Testament uh, uh, scripture, but then it goes, it gets really practical. Submit yourselves. Um, honor all men. Love the brotherhood. Fear God. Honor the king. Servants, be subject to your master. And all of that, you know, the Bible does that over and over again in, in, in various places. <clears throat> And then in closing, 2 Peter 3, verse 18. It's probably a familiar verse to you. But, but grow in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. But grow in grace. So be that living stone. So I just want to encourage us all, myself and, and, and all of us, to grow in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. To him be glory both now and forever. Amen.